Welcome to the Football Pink podcast, hosted by Roddy Cairns. The Football Pink is a website, magazine and documentary podcast series bringing you long-form stories and nostalgia from across the world of football. Picture the scene. It's the end of the World Cup final, and the trophy is being lifted aloft by the finest team on the planet after a 3-1 final victory over West Germany. Wrapped around the trophy are two Scottish hands, surely the dream of every supporter in Caledonia. But these hands do not belong to Rachel Corsi, Andy Robertson, or any of their illustrious predecessors as captains of the Scottish national teams. They belong to Rose Riley, an Ayrshire lassie who's played so well for her team that she's voted Player of the Tournament. Sadly, for the Scots, she's wearing the colours of Italy. This is the story of Rose Riley, the globe-trotting Scot who lifted international football's biggest prize. Riley was born in 1955 into a large Catholic family in Stewarton, East Ayrshire, just over 20 miles south of Glasgow. Riley took to playing football from a very young age. It was a time in which the game was regarded as unsuitable for girls at nearly every level, as Football Pink contributor Kirsty McLeod recalls. Scotland had first been represented in women's international football as far back as 1881, but by 1921, the Scottish Football Association followed the example of their English counterparts and took steps to ban the women's game altogether. Female teams were no longer permitted to play on SFA member pitches, be officiated by SFA referees, or even assemble a national squad in its name. As a wee lassie in East Ayrshire, Riley got used to jumping over barriers designed to stop her playing, sometimes literally. Every day at school she would scale the dividing wall between the girls' and boys' playgrounds, whipping off her kilt into shorts to do battle on the concrete pitches. She was belted on every occasion. I didn't care, she recalled sheepishly, as long as I got a game of football. Riley became incredibly creative to get a game. Following the advice of the local boys team manager, she took herself to the barbers and got a short back and sides cut to try and fool opponents. Her mother was less than pleased. So convincing was Riley's appearance that when Stuart and Thistle ladies were formed, Seven-year-old Rose had a hard time convincing them that she was really a girl. By nine years of age, Riley was permitted to play with the ladies' team. She more than held her own against her adult teammates, who were amazed by her pace, passing ability and strength on the ball. Joining the ranks at Stuart and Thistle was a seismic step for Riley. It provided her first real taste of competitive fixtures, and before long, silverware. In the newly established Scottish Women's Football Association League, Thistle won the inaugural Scottish Cup and Charity Shield in 1971 and even clinched the Women's Mitre Cup, a competition contested by teams from across the British Isles, in 1972 with a win over Southampton. It also introduced Riley to two teammates, Elsie Cook and Edna Nellis, who would go on to become lifelong companions as they fought to play at the highest level. As time went on, 
Riley sensed that her playing opportunities had reached a dead end in Scotland. She read about Anna O'Brien, a young Irish midfielder who'd gone to France and was now making a name for herself at Stade de Reims. Reem was at the forefront of the developing women's game in France. Along with Nellis and Cook, Riley hatched a plan to become part of this exciting new world. In a remarkable gesture of self-confidence, Nellis and Riley marched to the Daily Record offices in Glasgow. There, they convinced the secretary that they had a meeting with top sports reporter Stan Shivers. Armed with a portfolio of pictures and match reports compiled by Cook, they wasted no time in announcing to Shivers that they wanted a crack at the big time. Amazingly, Shivers agreed to help. He arranged a meeting with officials at Rams and even had the two Scots girls flown out to France at the record's expense. By half-time in their trial game, Rams were already convinced by what they had seen. Nellis and Riley were signed on the spot. The gamble taken by Riley and her comrades had paid off spectacularly, earning them a crack at the professional game. However, Reem had taken a gamble too, by signing these unknown Scots up to their pioneering project. And that risk would also yield a high reward as the club lifted the French title in 1973. And then, AC Milan came calling. Italy was at the epicentre of women's football in Europe at the time. Whereas the game attracted an element of derision in Scotland, Italy heralded the growth in women's teams with interest and excitement. League and club structures were well organised and propped up by funding from a range of private investors and sponsors. Riley describes the moment she descended from the aircraft steps onto the tarmac at Rome Airport as one of coming home. Nonetheless, in her own words, the Ayrshire teenager hadn't even had spaghetti hoops before she went out. Riley was already a Scotland internationalist by the time she moved to continental Europe to chase her dreams of playing at the highest level. But playing for the unofficial Scotland women's team in those days was a far cry from the glamour of men's international football. In 1972, on their way to a match against England, the bus the women's team were travelling on broke down. Undeterred, the team all piled onto the back of a furniture van in Glasgow and eventually made it to Ravenscraig Stadium in time for kickoff. It was a stark contrast to the same fixture played by the men's teams that year in front of a 119,000-strong crowd at Hampden Park. England, incidentally, won on both occasions. Riley played a total of 10 times for her homeland, before an announcement from the SFA once she had moved abroad to pursue her club career brought her time as a Scotland internationalist shuddering to a halt. Riley, Nellis and Cook were served sine die bans and prevented from representing their country ever again. It was a great shock for the three former teammates who, although outspoken about the lack of support from the Scottish authorities, had nonetheless done so much to promote the women's game at home and abroad. No formal justification was ever given for the ban. Riley put the rejection to the back of her mind. She soon made a name for herself on the pitch. She shot past players at great speed, delivered pinpoint accurate crosses into the box and threw herself into every tackle. Fans adored her. In the red and black stripes of AC Milan, Riley won two league titles and two golden boots as the top scorer in Serie A across two different seasons, before going on to enjoy further successes with teams in Catania and Lecce. Remarkably, in the 1978-79 season, Riley even won leagues in two separate countries. She was persuaded by Rem to fly over to France and play for her former club on Sunday afternoons, having just featured for Lecce in southern Italy the previous day.
Whilst her native Scotland may have shunned her, Riley was now one of Europe's most effective footballers and was not content with sitting out the international football scene. Ever the pragmatist, in 1984 she persuaded the president of the Italian Women's Football Federation to let her do the unthinkable and switch to playing for the Azzurri. Without present-day FIFA citizenship rules, Riley, who by this point had lived in Italy for around 11 years, was welcomed with open arms by teammates and supporters alike and went on to earn more caps for her adopted nation than she had for Scotland. The highlight of Riley's second international career was undoubtedly the first ever Mundialito Cup, a tournament which was the precursor to the modern FIFA Women's World Cup in 1984. In a fairytale-like final against West Germany, Riley scored to help Italy secure the coveted trophy. Fans rushed onto the pitch at the final whistle and hoisted the Scots girl onto their shoulders, her status as an Italian national hero confirmed. She was voted player of the tournament, and the folly of the snub from her native country could scarcely have been more obvious. Siamo già al quarantesimo minuto. Rimessa in gioco della Degwitz. L'arbitro sta già consultando il cronometro. Ormai siamo alla conclusione. L'arbitro chiede il pallone, vuole lui stesso il pallone. Fischio finale allo stadio Picchi di Jesolo. L'Italia ha battuto la Germania per 3 a 1 e ha conquistato la seconda edizione consecutiva del Mundialito di calcio femminile. Hanno segnato nel primo tempo la Morace all'ottavo, la Relli al ventesimo, la Vignotto al trentesimo sul calcio di rigore. Nel secondo tempo gol per la Germania della Kreuzburg al quinto minuto. Quindi punteggio finale. Italia batte Germania 3 a 1. Italia che vince il Mundialito di calcio femminile seconda edizione. Scotland may have been slow to recognise the footballing legends it has produced in the women's game. But belated recognition and even contrition has arrived for Riley and others. In 2007, Rose Riley was inducted into the Scottish Football Hall of Fame, alongside household names from the men's game such as Alan Hansen, Ali McCoist, and Gordon Strachan. Perhaps even more significant for Riley was an event in 2019 that sought to right a historic wrong. Twelve years later, Riley was back on the pitch. This time it was a final warm-up game for the Scotland women's team before they left for the 2019 World Cup. Riley was invited on at half-time and the SFA formally recognised the 1972 Scotland versus England game as an international fixture. Fellow Ayrshire women, a certain Nicola Sturgeon, awarded Riley her cap in front of a record crowd. Sadly, Riley's generation of female players was not the last who had to play with their male counterparts to advance in football. Julie Fleeting, another Ayrshire lass, but one who came onto the scene over 20 years after Riley, had to play her youth football with a boys' club, as there were no female junior teams in her local area. Fleeting has since commented that her status as the only girl in the league made both her and her team the butt of jokes from opposition sides, but states that the jeers just spurred her on to beat the opposition. Fleeting clearly used this tough start to her career to good effect. After a sterling spell at Air United in her teens and throughout university, Fleeting followed Riley's lead by moving abroad to make a living from the game. She signed as a full-time professional for San Diego Spirit in 2002 and commented that it was a shame she had to leave Scotland to make a career in football. Fleeting would go on to become one of women's football's superstars, scoring 116 goals in 121 caps for Scotland, and achieving legend status at Arsenal. 
She can justifiably lay claim to the title of Scotland's best ever female player. And there's an argument that she's Scotland's finest ever player full stop. In 2018, she joined the pioneering Riley in the Scottish Football Hall of Fame. Jamelin, who had a degree of good fortune as well when the initial effort came back off the crossbar. But she's been beaten this time. Julie Fleeting thundering in to get Arsenal second. It was a magnificent ball in. Bristol Academy have been reeling a little bit and they've been pulled apart here and Arsenal ladies have got their second through Julie Fleeting. Life as a young Scottish female footballer in 2020 is much better than it was in Riley's day, or even Fleeting's. The Scottish Women's Premier League now has some full-time professional players and the continental achievements of Glasgow City have allowed players from across Scotland a platform to compete with the very best while staying in their home country, at least for a while. Rose Riley once said that she would have gone to the moon if there was football to be played there. For those of us who love football in Scotland, it's to be hoped that lessons have been learned from the missteps of the past and that all the future Rose Rileys won't need to go so far from home to receive the respect and appreciation they deserve. In the meantime, we can't help but look back with awe at the career of Rose Riley, who journeyed from games with the boys on red ash pitches in Ayrshire to the footballing cathedrals of Italy crowning it all with international glory in 1984. She fought for her right to play the game she loved, and she played it better than anyone. You have been listening to the Football Pink podcast. For more stories like this one, please subscribe to the podcast and visit footballpink.net.